This episode of Fermented Adventure, the podcast, is sponsored by Fermented Adventure. I am so glad that I have my shirt picked out already for Halloween. You do? Yes, and you can find it on Fermented Adventure under merchandise. It's our new Halloween release. Are you talking about, I'm just here for the bruise? I am just here for the bruise. This is the perfect shirt to go to Halloween events, wear to your brewery around town. You are in costume. You're ready to go. And the great thing about the shirt is it's long sleeve and it's not just for Halloween. You can wear this anytime, right? Absolutely. Not just that, but we have other merchandise. And we also have tags, tees, hoodies, and sweatshirts. Lots of items on our website. How do people find our website, Dawn? They go to formattedadventure.com and click on the apparel tab. Click on the apparel tab and they'll find I have mixed drinks about feelings and may contain whiskey and what else? We also have our Fermented Adventure logo shirt and alcohol is the solution. So if you're still stumped about what you're going to wear for Halloween, check out our merchandise, look for the shirt, and you will be fashionable for this Halloween. And people will say... You listen to Fermented Adventure, the podcast too? Exactly. Cheers! Cheers. Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. He's Corey Fitzsimmons. I'm Rich Shane. This is Fermented Adventure, the podcast. Corey, welcome to the podcast. Incredible to be here. Thanks for having me on. Well, I am so I'm always excited to talk to the next guest and, and, and talk to like a new friend of Fermented Adventure. We met you at Bar Convent, Brooklyn. And from that moment, the, the Bar Convent, you know, the, the opportunity to meet a lot of people is there. But the opportunity to have elongated conversations, that's not there. And I, for the next 20 hours, listeners, we're going to talk vermouth and nothing vermouth. <laughs> and it's just going to be so riveting. You're going to be you're not going to want to get out of your car. Um, you know, the kids are going to be screaming. Food's going to be late. But uh, Corey, we're going to talk your vermouth and we're going to talk method spirits. Tell everybody who is not familiar or not familiar with your story. How did method spirits get started? So, yeah, I've, uh, I was a bartender here in the city in New York for um, right around a decade or more um, working in hospitality. Like my, my background was in architecture, which got me to the city. But um, I quickly realized I wasn't an architect and uh, missed hospitality. So went back to that world um, and spent the better part of a decade uh, bartending in a number of different programs throughout the city um, and uh, had the honor of being the head bartender at Union Square Cafe when it opened in its new location after 30 years in its previous location. Um, and my job um, there was to craft a bar program that was with the same ethos that that restaurant had been celebrated for um, for 30 years and bring the same um, kind of sense of um, celebrating all local producers um, and sourcing as many um, beers and spirits and things from the, from the local community um, and to run our program. And one of the things I couldn't find was a good um, vermouth that would actually work for classic applications like Manhattan's and Negroni's. Um, so I started working um, on creating something for the program there using our own recipes and, and, and exploring that and quickly realized 
that you couldn't really hack um, hundred-year-old recipes in about two bar weekend R&D sessions. Um, and so myself and another bartender there left um, to start Method um, and to go down the rabbit hole of um, experimenting with different botanicals and and finding the right wine blends and things of that nature. Um, all with New York product um, so that we could provide uh, bartenders an option to have a local uh, sweet vermouth and soon to have a local dry vermouth as well. You make it sound like such a clean break, um, but <laughs> I'm sure there's more to that than that. I mean, you're talk you talked about crafting the menu, the spirits, the cocktails, everything that went along with uh, the food and you know the food and beverage program. But I'm sure there were a few more, you know, maybe struggles or bumps along the way sure. to try to find that vermouth. Um, yeah, I mean, the running a high level bar program in the city, um, we we were trying to do. I mean, not, it, it's kind of cliche now to say that you make your own bitters or you make your own whatever as far as a bar program. That's kind of expectation now. It used to be revolutionary. Um, 10 years ago to, to say uh, that we do anything in-house. Now that's become almost standard fare for high-level bar programs. Um, so we wanted to take it a step further. Um, we wanted anything that wasn't distilled um, just because we didn't have our own still um, to be something that we were making ourselves. Um, so the process of developing that kind of palette or that kind of uh, program to have bartenders and to have people educated in, in um, first the history and all of that understanding, uh, but then just the technical know-how to coax out as much flavor from any of the individual botanicals and things was something that we had to teach ourselves. Um, so um, for two years, when I was running the bar program, we had a basement um, full of, with two metro shelves filled with different botanicals at different rates of maceration at different proofs um, and really took a scientific approach to educating ourselves about the flavor profiles of this, that, or the other, um, and then figuring out how those could all marry together. So if we had a bartender who said, hey, um, I'm missing this kind of liqueur or this profile for a cocktail that I want to create, we had a laboratory downstairs and had the ability to do that. So just building that kind of repertoire um, or that pantry of flavors um, took two years just to get there. So the, the concept of building where you have Amaro's, vermouths, um, liqueurs, cordials, um, all of those type of things built in-house was, kind of, was something that we knew we were embarking on a long program for developing that program. Um, vermouth was one of those that um, it was the fact that we couldn't do it inside of the structure of the bar program. I think that uh, kind of elicited uh, or inspired me to step out and say, hey, this is a this is a project that I could actually dedicate myself to. It spent, I spent two years uh, developing the recipe and it was like developing a cocktail for two and a half years. <laughs> I mean, you're trying to figure out all the balance. You're trying to figure out um, how each of the components go together and this is all coming from a bar program where we were sous-veing botanicals in jars um, in slow cookers um, and then saying, hey, going to wineries and saying, I have no idea how to scale this up. Um, does this even make sense to you? And, and finding those right partners. So it was really relying on our industry and our uh, connection, industry connections and friends in both distribution and production to kind of point us in the right direction. So it was just... We had no roadmap to get from point A to point B. We had to kind of make it up as we went. That sounds like all that that you were working on in the basement really raised your ability to create even better cocktails. Oh, for sure. As you, as you understood what those flavors, the citrus, the different um, items that you were, as you said, sous vide and all the things yeah. you were doing, you know, once you got an idea of really how you could amplify that flavor, what you could do as far as creating a cocktail must have been mind-blowing. I almost want to get in the DeLorean and yeah. go back in time with you and you know be able to share some of those creations that you were uh, putting together. Yeah, we had um, parallel to all of that. Um, we So the kitchen program, the, the kitchen at Unisquare Cafe, that team is insanely talented. Um, so a lot of conversations late at night after a bar shift or doing prep before service and, um, and 
working with farm fresh ingredients right next to them and these, these talented, passionate chefs, um, and working and hearing what they, what inspired them and what flavors, uh, interested them. And then seeing through their process, they were kind of taking first cut of whatever they're doing. It would create, create waste off of that. And sometimes that was still very usable. Um, and so that was one of the things that, uh, we started creating cordials and even the vermouth itself started as recycling flat sparkling wines back into the bar program and using those wines as kind of the R and D for our vermouth. We were using, um, whether it was the shells from sweet peas to make a sweet pea, uh, cordial, um, or things of that nature, um, that really helped kind of broaden our approach. Um, and then again, that whole idea of recycling things through when you're, when you're experimenting, you create a lot of waste. Um, we had a milk punch program where we had different milk punches all the time. So you had all of these experiments that went maybe not quite what you were looking for. And then you had to figure out a way to implement them as well. So it was like, um, no, you, we created a lot of different um, complex flavors and then learning how to deal with them and then um, to recycle them back through the program. It, it, it expanded. It was an education and everybody that was part of that team um, is responsible. It's in large part for creating kind of the process that developed method. Part of what I'm enjoying and our conversation and meeting you initially is the education piece. And where I want to go back is right now, even farther as a bartender, talk about the history of vermouth and how it's played over time in some of our classic cocktails. Yeah. Um, vermouth starts off way before um, cocktails were even a consideration. Um, the idea of bittering something for medicinal purposes um, was something that it goes all the way back to ancient China and then throughout European cultures, uh, kind of even the word... Um, uh, vermouth comes from a German word for wormwood, um, which they were using and, and bittering their wines for medicinal purposes. Um, as kind of you look throughout European history and you see all of these, um, just the evolution of culture and the trading of, of how uh, just food traditions and drinking traditions, um, Northern Italy starts to... Um, bring in that same kind of culture of bittering wines with wormwood. Um, and uh, in Torino, they started to develop a style of uh, what we now call vermouth. Um, that was a bittered wine with a number of different ingredients um, that was so popular that the producer um, had to stay open 24 hours a day just to keep up with demand. Wow. That's and, a, it's, that's the first 24 uh, yeah. seven, you know, Drive-through uh, exactly. vermouth uh, pickup. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and that became so popular that the style that we know of now as Italian sweet vermouth was what was produced in Torino. Um, the French kind of take a look at that and see how popular it is and then take their own spin by omitting the, the burnt sugars or the caramel out of it and they make their dry vermouth. Um, but the the whole kind of history is built on this tradition of drinking things that are bitter for their um, uh, ability to stimulate appetite and settle digestion, which really back in rudimentary medicinal times was the two things that you were trying to do to cure anything, um, either get somebody to find their appetite again or to make to settle their um, stomach. Um, and so as that proliferates and as that starts to find different forms throughout Italy and throughout Europe, and you have these same kind of traditions every, throughout um, uh, European culture, in the United States, the immigrant populations um, bring with them these drinking traditions, and then they all get clashed together. Um, and that's why you find um, cocktails popping up in New York and out in California, um, in San Francisco, um, where where immigrant populations start to grow and find kind of common um, purpose in out in California, in the uh, gold rush in New York and kind of just every kind of industry, including hospitality here in New York. Um, and then off those, what, what was available to them at that, at that time, um, you start seeing cocktails crafted out of that. So um, Manhattans and Negronis, uh, martinis, 
are all built out of this tradition of seeing um, the gins from England or the whiskeys from Ireland, Scotland, the vermouths from um, uh, France and Italy, kind of finding common place um, and the opportunity to, to mix. Um, and so the Torino style of sweet vermouth and the chambray or, or French style of dry vermouth really became the bedrock of some of the most popular classic cocktails in part because of how ubiquitous they were for these populations, but also for how complex they are um, and their ability to marry with multiple different ingredients. It's almost like working with a really good um, stock. Uh, if you're making soup, um, a lot of different ingredients can, can marry and connect to it in different ways. And so vermouth is has that complexity and ability to stand up at different proportions um, against different um, base spirits. See, Corey, I knew this was going to be good, but I just <laughs> didn't know how good until, you know, listening to the way you are a student of history. And I think that is what raises the product and the end result of what you built. Plus the fact that, you know, you can say, hey, I had this desire to be an architect. You understand building blocks. You understand a base. You understand... Yeah you know, different characteristics that's going to build something, you already have that structure thinking mind, right? I mean, so yeah. it's not that far off. You're an architect, but you design, you know, world-class cocktails, a world-class vermouth line. And, you know, when people look back, they'll say, oh yeah, there was the Chrysler building. There was uh, Rockefeller Plaza, right? And there was Method Spirit. So, uh, <laughs> you know, the three great uh, yeah. contributions of New York City. <laughs> Yeah, that sure. I, I wouldn't you hold can, my breath on that you one. You see that happen. I right? appreciate it happening. Sure, absolutely. No, I think that if you told uh, high school students that history was actually about um, drugs and, and sex, um, and realize that that's pretty much what shaped all of human history, uh, more people might pay attention in class. Um, but when all right, here we're going to take a left turn on the podcast, and this is now going to be all about drugs and sex. Yeah, so. Uh, yeah. You know, but put the kids every, away. Yeah. <laughs> Everything from the American Revolution um, to the way that taxation throughout Europe worked to the crisis with um, the Irish and the English and all of the different tensions throughout human history usually go back um, to the vices. And oftentimes that was alcohol. Um, and I think when you make that connection and you start to realize that all of these stories, you can take anything from the rum trade to um, Irish whiskey to, again, vermouth, and just trace it throughout history and see how they connect and see how influential the way that we eat and drink, the way that we connect with the basic human needs um, have formed humanity. Um, I think that's that makes these, that's why every single bottle that's sitting on the shelf behind me, each has is a history lesson in and of themselves. Um, it has I, a reason I, why it's gotten this far. I always say I that know. when you understand what's in the bottle and the history behind it, yeah. how it's produced, it raises the appreciation for what you're drinking. And it doesn't just make it Oh, uh, you know what? It's a pretty label or it's, it sounds cool. I'll buy that. And then it has to overcome the taste factor. You grow and you have a connection to it. And that's, what's really important. I think that's the story that Method Spirits is telling as yeah. you share, this is what we weren't able to find. We take our understanding of all those ingredients and this is the product that we we go and create. As a bartender, you talked about the, the whole program that you put together, is there a personality style or are there things that you have, uh, you know, that, that you gravitate towards that you can share as far as that, that you know, like I said, that personality of, of, of what's going into the bar program? Um, I think that a, a bar program is a lot. Uh, it's developing a team. Um, the for a bar program to achieve at a high level, um, there are things that I was good at and things that I was weak at. Um, I think, but recognizing a team and being able to put them together. So you have people who are storytellers, um, those that know the history and can connect to that. And then those who can coax flavor out of things and, and demonstrate them to the highest um, ability and um, people who just have a passion for some aspect of the craft of bartending um, and then allowing them to demonstrate that passion. Um, I think that's, that's the biggest part. So I wouldn't say that a bartender is any one thing or there is a single personality that kind of achieves 
um, the best. I've always been a geek. I've always kind of gravitated towards how things are put together and why they exist and, uh, and trying to understand the read the who, what, when, where, and why of things. Um, and I think from an early age, um, I, I cooked a lot and kind of just connected to food and flavors and trying to understand those as well. So when you put those two things together, that's how I became the bartender that I am. Um, but yeah, I think that that's, it's an appreciation for history is paramount, um, an understanding, um, that everything exists on the back bar for a reason. Um, and then to approach, um, the ability to translate those stories appropriately to the guest, um, without judgment of what, where they are in kind of that understanding. Um, and to realize that you have the opportunity to share some of these stories with people. You're really, um, to have that opportunity to, to share those tales. I hope, I mean, I hope at some point when bartenders are sharing method spirits, they can have a conversation about it. Um, and, and look and say that this exists for this reason and what was going on in the bar scene in New York city at such and such a time and kind of the evolution of things. Um, so I think that's, that's important for bartenders, but then again, it's, it's, it's a service you're, you're connecting to people and people are coming to you either for that story or for absolutely no story whatsoever. And to just put their head down and, and enjoy their ice cold martini um, and uh, to forget about whatever was going on and process their day. So knowing and when uh, what is appropriate and when is, is important as well. Method spirits. How'd you come up with the name? Um, so when this, when Method started, there were three of us, uh, involved in the project, a friend of mine who, uh, I went to, um, architecture school with, um, and a friend who, uh, was working in bar, was bartending with me at Union Square Cafe. Um, and we were sitting around a table, um, and trying to figure out, um, what we were going to name this project. And when we'd have a lot of conversations, we would oftentimes just kind of in middle of this conversations, just stop if something caught us and try to like put it into the proper form. So having a conversation be like, okay, some such and such podcast, let's say podcast spirits, podcast spirit company. And then just kind of pick up in the comment thing. We were um, sitting around having coffee and we were talking about our method for um, developing something. And, and uh, my friend Carmen um, said, just kind of did that and said method spirits. And we all kind of looked at each other and we went, that's it. That's hundred percent it. Um, in part, because we were talking about bartenders often share information about how they, um, go about either making their or shot or making their, um, uh, how they make a Manhattan or an old fashioned. And they say, what's your method for doing this? What's your method for doing that? Um, so it kind of fit to say, this is our method for making vermouth. Um, that and the application of, of kind of a rigorous scientific approach and kind of the scientific method just kind of felt like a, a natural fit. And you have 29 botanicals mm -hmm. all packed into this bottle. And while you were sharing the story, I finally opened it. It took a lot of willpower for me <laughs> to hold off. Um, okay. And what I am just curious about is you talked about the method, but how was it that you know, it's not 30 botanicals. It's not sure. 25 botanicals. What was it? Or talk about that, that you got to the 29 that you decided all of these play the way we want them to play so that this gives us the flavor profile that we're looking for. Yeah. Um, we started by taking um, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 or 70 botanicals um, and macerating them in uh, pure grain spirit to just make tinctures. Um, and then we did at different proofs and different time to just, just to kind of, I always say it's almost like making the crayon box. Like we created all the different individual colors or individual flavors, um, and wanted to understand those first and foremost, um, and then kind of broke them into different groupings. Um, so you had kind of the floral grouping, the spice grouping, um, the bitter grouping, and then we put citrus off on its own, um, to, and, did I say savory? Um, you did so, not, but uh, so I'm, I'm curious kind of actually what a savory yeah. botanical would be. So savory, anything that's like one, one of the botanicals is actually called savory, but everything from thyme, um, we have something called Damiana, um, which is kind of a peppery um, Mediterranean uh, herb. 
Um, and uh, there'd be, so each of these groups, you kind of think of on like a flavor wheel or something, or kind of how you would balance um, a dish or um, almost like uh, players in a band. Um, and you'd say, all right, um, these groups individually, the, if you're talking about like an orchestra, the string section needs to come up a little bit. The percussion needs to step down a little bit. Um, the woodwinds are perfect where they are, whatever, like you would kind of have that conversation. And then each of the individual players and in those groups contribute to the whole, um, and you'd have to dial those up and down. And the way that we did that was all through blind tasting, um, everything from the botanicals to the individual component recipes to the broader recipes to tasting in cocktails. We did everything double blind where we never knew what we were tasting or who we were tasting against or any of that nature would do all of our judgments that way and then um, see where we stood. And so um, each of our recipe batches were broken into maybe anywhere from four to 16 different versions. Um, and then you see which one tasted, uh, which one met our, our, our uh, desired uh, path and uh, which was closest to the mark um, and then would inch closer and closer. So when we first started, we wanted to make Torino style sweet vermouth um, using New York wine and brandy. So um, we got all of the Torino vermouths that we um, liked and the ones that we thought were emblematic of where we wanted to end up kind of in and around in that same kind of framework. Um, and then started trying to get there. And in the first tastings, we were nowhere close and you'd lay out six glasses and five of them would taste somewhat similar and in kind of conversation with each other. And then there'd be the one that was well off to the side. And we knew that that was us. And I remember the first tasting we did, um, where we tasted through all six and we weren't a hundred percent sure which one was the outlier. And uh, when we did that, we realized that we had at least gotten into the conversation. Um, and that was as part of a two and a half year development process where um, when I was doing tastings at least three times a week, um, trying to, to crack the code, um, was doing this full time, left my job and just dove down the rabbit hole. Um, and that's the, the, the only way we could get there was doing it that way. Um, so that we knew that we weren't biased. And then we had our bar friends. When we got to a spot, we, we lined up different cocktails in front of our bar and some friends and said, you, you do what we did and we don't know what you're drinking. So we can't push you one way or the other and see where you land. And we were hoping, cause we were trying to do kind of an entry level vermouth. Uh, we were trying to maybe win half of the head to heads and we started winning about 80% of them. Um, and so then we knew we were really onto something. I wish there were, or I wish there was a camera crew that was documenting this whole process over two years with I'm you and your team and not. what you're doing. What's that? <laughs> there was a lot of drinking. <laughs> <laughs> it, it almost, it almost, it's like that, you know, Willy Wonka style, Anthony Bourdain um, yeah. meets the, you know, just like, just this overwhelming documentary that I would have loved to sit there to watch and to see how all this is put together you know, just even some of the things you shared and all the things that just excited me, uh, you know, as far as what I get to learn from you today and the style and some of the botanicals and, and how you went about sectioning all these off before yeah. you started to bring them all back together. The process of now or the method of sourcing these wines and brandies, yeah. what were those conversations like? Because that's, you know, that's something that's going to impart a certain flavor to Absolutely. what you're looking to put together too. Yeah. So um, again, I'm a bartender, I'm not a winemaker. Um, so I had no other than um, connections to producers that I liked and knowing kind of my distributors and, and having worked um, and knowing those supply chains. Um, I reached out to um, everyone that I could and said, how do I find uh, how to do it first. We didn't even know if we had to find a distillery or a winery or a brewery and say who has the right equipment to be able to scale this up for us. Cause again, we were making it in three liter batches and slow cookers in our apartment. Um, so that's not something that is exactly lends itself to scalability. Um, but fortunately we connected to, um, Cornell's wine program, 
Um, and they are incredibly insightful into what's going on in the New York wine scene. Um, they monitor and they do an, an analysis for all the wineries throughout the state so that they have the data on kind of bricks level acidity and kind of can track and develop um, the wine culture here in uh, the Northeast. Um, and they connected us to producers that they thought would, um, be the, a good fit for us. Um, and ultimately ended up working with, um, Swedish Hill, which is a third generation winery up in Romulus, New York, which is up in the Finger Lakes uh, region. Um, and what, uh, they do incredibly well is they work with hybrid varietals, which are um, developed by Cornell, um, to be more environmentally and economically sustainable for the growers. Um, and that was something that uh, when you talk about wine having a certain character that lends itself to the, the flavor profile, these hybrids um, can be pretty aromatic. Um, and so working with them, um, they became almost like a botanical, whereas instead of necessarily finding something that's super stripped down and light and clean and just a blank canvas, uh, we were working with wines that had some, um, floral qualities and things that we really enjoyed, um, and got to integrate those and in kind of the botanical build. Um, so that was just tasting through wines, um, throughout, uh, the Finger Lakes and, um, Long Island and just trying to find, um, what was going to be the right fit for us. Um, and then we reached out, um, I've always loved the work that Finger Lakes Distilling, um, has done and, uh, they make some incredible, uh, whiskeys that I loved using as a bartender. Their whiskeys were almost like, I always say they're like grain O to V's more than they are necessarily just barrel expressions. Um, so the distillates were always a really high quality. Um, and so we reached out and connected, um, to them, um, and Brian over there, um, uh, heard out what our project was and, um, said, that sounds really cool. I'd love to be a part of it. And, uh, they produced the brandies that we use for fortifying. Um, so we get to work with two incredibly, um, accomplished and, um, top of their game, uh, producers, um, to help us kind of move into the, um, the spirits game. Corey, you sound like so determined, like <laughs> you have this definiteness of purpose, you know, and what, you know, I'm, I'm curious about is as a bartender, you set up this whole program, you realize there was a hole that you needed yeah. to fill. When was it a business? When did you decide this, this takes my time. This needs yeah. more focus. When did this become a business versus just, we want to have something for our bar and then for sure. other, other colleagues that could raise their game too. Yeah. Um, so that's more of a, of a kind of just the way that I'm built. Um, I always kind of just, um, for a long time, I always say that I just kind of ride the, I'm not a surfer, but I kind of love the surfing metaphor of like kind of just riding the waves that come. Um, and when an opportunity has presented itself in my life, I've been fortunate enough to catch some good waves. Um, I, when I, when I was in architecture, I was, um, right about the 2008, uh, crash and realized quickly that I wasn't really the guy who was going to fight for staying in architecture and took a job at a local, um, pub, uh, I, a dive music venue uh, on the Lower East side and just immediately got, uh, accepted into the bar culture and scene down there and worked with some really talented, um, uh, bar teams throughout, uh, New York. And then, was fortunate to get a job working for USHG, um, Danny Myers restaurant group, um, starting off with the modern. And then when he opened up a cocktail bar said, Hey, here's another wave that's coming. Let me jump on that. Went to helped open porch light and met some people there who, um, were starting to open up union square cafe and its second iteration. And I asked them if they were hiring a head bartender and kind of forced myself into the, into the conversation because the opportunity was there. And, um, then when, uh, we were developing the bar program and, and, uh, we were doing some stuff that I was really proud of and this problem presented itself. And I talked to other bartenders and they had kind of said the same thing. It just kind of made a lot of sense that there aren't very many people who have been drinking and working with vermouth as long as I had at that point and had the ability to kind of, to, to work this out. 
Um, and I was ready for the next wave. Um, and so it kind of found me as much as I was looking for something. So, um, it became the opportunity was there and I've just been writing it for the last about five years. Wow. And all right. I've, I've let this open up. I've let this breathe, but one of the things I'll share the nose, I mean, there's so much, it it comes and you talk about waves. There's so many different this plays on so many different senses, so many different, um, they're spicy, they're sweet. There's, um, there's floral, there's, um, even that savory point, I, you know, when you said time, I, I, I think time being more floral in a way as a botanical than I do about a savory, but you're right. That's that, that's how it comes off in a dish. Uh, you know, that's where you're going to have it. Um, I mean, they all stitch together. Like there's botanicals bridge from one to the other. So part of what you're talking about is, um, and what two and a half years of development and tasting every, uh, week throughout the week was that, I mean, it was when you had a component that wasn't there, wasn't long enough and wasn't there, like you'd kind of, you were trying to create this, um, experience where how it first presents itself, um, at the front and the mid palette and how it finishes are all pieces of the puzzle. Um, and for two and a half years, it just wasn't right until we kind of got to a spot where you start to realize that you need to have kind of for Torino style, kind of a nice, pleasant, long, bitter finish. Um, but to get there, there has to be some baking spice that kind of hugs around it and runs that length with it. Um, that the floral character, um, you don't want it to be overly potpourri. Um, so you need it to kind of play with the citrus notes because the citrus has kind of a floral quality too, but savory marries well with those. And, and then again, getting back to the baking spice. So you find all of these components that in and of themselves have to have complexity, but then they have to connect to each other. Um, and so that was the um, uh, two and a half year process was just tweaking those. So once we got into a recipe that we liked, we weren't done. It was another year of, of tweaking this and tweaking that. And maybe it's 28 botanicals, maybe it's 30 botanicals, maybe it's what happens if we add this one or what happens if we take this one away. Um, and then blind tasting that multiple times to see that we're making sure we're making the right choices. And then you need to take all that and produce it on a mass scale. Oh, that was scary. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, again, we were doing test batches small in our um, uh, apartments um, and uh, going in and saying, um, all right, so we're going from three liter batches to um, we're going to do uh, 400 cases of vermouth to start, which for now we're doing about 1200 and soon to be 1600 cases um, in one batch. Um no, that was, that was the fear. Like everybody talks about the fact that especially even in distilled spirits and things, none of this stuff is down to such a science that you can predict in a linear fashion, how you scale up. Um, and so we tried to eliminate as many variables as possible. Um, and then we kind of just jumped and, and fortunately we hit right where we wanted to when we came off the first one. And, but each, each batch that we've grown, we've, tweaked a little here and there to make sure that we're staying in the same profile. Um, as you start to see certain notes come out stronger as you scale up or others that fall away. Um, and, uh, we're releasing a dry vermouth, um, here this next month. Um, and that's been, I mean, even more amplified, uh, dry vermouth has no sugar to kind of hide behind, um, and far fewer botanicals, um, as far as just volume. Um, so I always kind of equate it to sweet vermouth is like making a triple IPA. You can like hammer it with hops and you kind of know what you're going to get, but, um, making a dry vermouth is like making a really dry German Pilsner. Um, there's not much, uh, that you can hide behind or distract from. Um, so, um, that's been an interesting thing, scaling that up as well. Um, no, you hold your breath. And then when it first comes off, uh, on the run and you taste it, it still is developing and, and you're just trying to, you're trying to see kind of almost like how a pitch is going to break across the plate. Like it looks like it's going to fly off to one side or the other, but you know, that it's going to kind of rain in, um, after it, it settles for a while and allows allowed to kind of marry all the flavors. Yeah. Cause you wrote your check and, uh, oh, yeah. it's now your baby that's coming off that line in the bottles. And the first thing is, well, what I paid for, is that going to be what the outcome that we're hoping for? And then now you've got to take what's in the bottles and you've exactly. got to go sell it. You've already got some sort of a fan base, yeah. but they've got to give their seal of approval. It's not that first you bottle you're going to yeah. sell. 
it's that second, the third, the fourth, exactly. and say, this is the only thing we're going to stock our shelves with. Yeah. All, all those other removes are no longer allowed here. We want method spirits. Yeah. And that, I mean, we, the, the embrace that we had, I mean, we did a Kickstarter in the beginning of 2020 um, to fund us. So um, when you're talking about each, each batch is kind of just throwing, it's like pushing all your chips back into the middle of the table. Um, we're all in on each batch. And each time I walk into the winery and see a giant, um, uh, um, container filled with our vermouth and realize that I would, I could not conceive of that, uh, back when we started, um, that these, these massive tanks filled with, um, I remember once our first one, I walked in and I pointed to her in one of the smaller tanks. Um, and I said, I can't believe that that's filled with our vermouth. And, um, Derek, who was doing the production goes, that's only half of it. <laughs> it's so cool. And it just scared the hell out of me because I just, it was one of those like, okay, we're it. This is, this is a real thing now. This is going. Um, and we were still tasting and still trying to see if it had, it was going to come out accurate and, and what we were expecting. And fortunately again, did. Um, but yeah, no, it's been a, a, a wild ride. Like the Kickstarter in 2020, um, we were going to do both the sweet and dry, um, to start off and then COVID hit right as the Kickstarter started. Um, but luckily we got funded, um, uh, but it pushed out our, um, launch date till November of 2020, um, which was also when a lot of restaurants and bars were closed. Um, and so we went to, uh, liquor stores and just, um, went to every single one in the city, knocked on their door, walked in, presented what we had. We didn't really have any contacts. We weren't going through traditional distributors, um, that had those contacts and, um, and just kind of just, uh, hit the pavement and, and, and found, um, a, a, a strong, steady appetite for local and, uh, and for quality products. And we're now in about 350 accounts throughout New York. Wow. Wow. That's, that's quite a testimony to all your efforts and the ideas and just sticking with it and riding the wave, as you said, as you've been sharing your journey and your, uh, you know, way of getting your method of getting to where we are today, this is opening up. My mouth is actually watering. So yeah, that, that's what it's supposed to do. <laughs> it's doing what it's supposed to do. It is so cool. It's, yeah. it's working. It's really working. Um, on the back of the bottle, um, you raise a toast or you toast. And yeah. I, I love the connection where you said bon vivants or bon vivants. Yeah. <laughs> is, is that some sort of a, um, is it a toast to something else or just the, the names that are on the back? It, it sounds like this little bartender thing that, when you put it on, it's like yeah. that, that clue that somebody will, they'll know what we're talking about. And bon vivants is just people who enjoy the good things of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of hospitality, again, if you look at the back of the bottle, we toast um, to community and, and the people, and specifically the people who helped us with our Kickstarter, which has um, the names on the back of the bottle of a number of our, uh, the people who helped get us into um, production um, but really at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's about having a good time. It's about having something that's, um, of a high quality and something that you can drink and enjoy and enjoy the company around you and the people you're enjoying it with. And it should be all about kind of, um, the revelry and, and the community. And even if you're drinking it in your home, there was numerous people who had to come together in order to get this, um, to you, uh, to get it, uh, to, to get it to me, <laughs> to get it behind the bar. Right. Yeah. So it, it wasn't, it wasn't me. Um, it wasn't method. It, it wasn't a small group of people. It was a, a large community that got us here. Um, and the history and everything plays into that. So every time you're drinking, it's nice to kind of uh, raise a glass and, and to salute that and, and, and the people who appreciate the good things in life. All right. We're raising our glass and we'll say cheers or to the Bon Vivants and, yeah. and all those people. <laughs> it's fruity. It's spicy. It's um, the, the, the viscosity is nice and coating. And I can really see as it goes, it's, it's only 18% ABV. Yes. Yeah. And it's, but it's so warming as it, as you, as you swallow it and it goes down through your chest, it's so warming. It kind of settles in on the top of your stomach, which is nice because I don't know whether it's now helping in my digestion or yeah. one helping me to want more food um, yeah. and get ready for my appetite. 
there are those bitter um, as, are those bitter aspects right now that are sitting on the back. To your point, you got a lot of sweetness up front. Yeah. Um, so I'm just I'm just really it's it's almost like there's a there's this barky quality to it. You know, take us through a little bit more about you know I know you've talked about all those different things, but where are some of those 29 botanicals really shining right now as as, as you sip this and this comes through? Yeah. Um, so Torino vermouth for me is about, um, citrus and spice, um, kind of surrounded and, and commingled with savory notes, um, that finishes long and pleasantly bitter. Um, it ha- should have a strong backbone. Um, you're building when you're building cocktails around it, um, including Manhattans and Negronis, you're throwing a lot at the vermouth, um, especially if you're working with overproof whiskeys or um, Campari has a, a, a strong gentian character and then gin, um, London dry style gins and things like that with their juniper. Like it's you need something that's got a backbone that can tie all these things together and stand up to them. So you need to have that sweetness there. Uh, but to keep it from being cloying, um, the bitterness needs to clean it up. Um, and you want it to be a nice, long, bitter finish. So um, in the front, you get all those um, citrus notes. It should be kind of lush um, and fruity. Um, the wines are pretty aromatic, so you get a lot of florals and things like that. I'll uh, tell you what, the wine doesn't, the wine and brandy, mm-hmm. it doesn't get lost here. Right. It has its own personality and character. Yeah. To where other vermouths that I've had, it just become like drinking something that was just sweetened wine yeah. with yeah. with maybe Completely. a couple of things that are spicy, but not really, right? Completely. Like that's there's a there's a wide range of vermouth. Um, and one thing when I'm and we're not on the lower end, um, but we're not on the higher end. We're kind of right there in the middle, and I think that's where there's a lot of value in vermouth um, because. You should have something, you shouldn't drink something that you wouldn't drink. Um, so when you're making cocktails, if you're making it with a vermouth that you wouldn't enjoy on its own, you have the option to drink something that is more complex. Uh, again, like talking about stock or something like that, um, really great stock can be enjoyed on its own or as part of a, a soup or something like that. Um, I think vermouth is, is that way. And a lot of people, um, will often buy vermouth for their Manhattans and Negronis thinking this is, I need to buy the cheapest bottle in the shop. Um, and then they make two or three drinks and put it in the fridge and it sits there for six months and nobody drinks it. And it's because it's not something that they would just pour out into a glass over the rocks and enjoy on its own. Whereas because it's the whiskey that they're searching for, they don't realize the value of that vermouth and what it's you've, you've created that point succinctly that this is exactly why if you want to make a classic cocktail, whether you're a bartender or whether you're home, you know, bartender enjoying your cocktails, this is why your whatever you're making doesn't come out quality. Yeah. So so you've really raised the bar. You know, if somebody has this as a as in a cocktail, I, I can't see them going back to something else. It, it just wouldn't be my choice. Cheers. Thank you. Um, yeah, that's we've again, when you make something, you have an idea. I mean, I come from I come from all spectrums of, of bartending. I worked in dive bars. I worked in a, a Michelin star restaurant and everything in between um, and going into um, restaurants and bars now and showing them vermouth. I oftentimes um, get the greater joy from going into a very simple bar program where maybe they don't know that much about um, more than just kind of the basic classics and maybe they don't get called for that much, but they want to have a nice drink or two on the menu and you have them pull out their vermouth and, ma- and just make a simple Manhattan and they taste them side by side and they just be they same thing that you're saying. There's no going back. They taste it. And that's like the, and the cost difference isn't that severe. You're talking about a, like a couple dimes per drink uh, to improve the quality of your Manhattan. Um, and that's always incredibly rewarding because um, some of our best customers are are then those who just say this is this is the standard that we would want if this may, this is the, the effortless way to make our drinks better is to just get better quality ingredients yeah you talked to that point i mean you're now walking into a bar or you know a cocktail lounge and you're saying i'd like this let's say the manhattan and yeah. then it's not specifically asking about the whiskey it's also saying do you have method spirits for move yeah. and if they don't that creates a clue that you're dealing with somebody, I believe, that really is that next level cocktail drinker. 
that yeah. appreciates a that, that's for us. We love and appreciate a quality cocktail. Yeah. The time somebody took in to create it, the showmanship, um, all the layers that go into that cocktail, and and this represents that 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 ingredient that that I think is so special. Now, for those that are listening to the podcast. Right now, I know you're in the New York, Manhattan, Long Island. You know, you, you service that area well. I'm sure yeah. Connecticut, North Jersey. How is the expansion going for world domination? <laughs> um, we're getting there. Um, right now, it's um, me, my girlfriend, and my dog, Barley. Um, so we're not a huge team. Um, but so the dog, Barley, is doing most of the social exactly. the, or, or the sales calls, right? <laughs> right yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, he's, he's great on our, uh, long, uh, sales trips and things like that. Um, so you uh, must have a really good medical plan. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So right now, just New York, um, we hope to expand in, in the next year or so. I've had some conversations with other distributors, um, to, to help, uh, take us, um, outside of New York's borders, um, but probably regional, um, to the, at least to the East coast for the next year or so. Um, and then, uh, from there, like you said, world domination, um, uh, we have people who, uh, um, have picked up our vermouth and, and, and ordered it throughout the States, um, from California, Washington. Um, somebody even sent me a picture of uh, method vermouth in Brazil, which was pretty cool. Um, so it's making its way around, um, people are finding it and searching it out. Um, but right now just in the New York area. So would I hear you say correctly that if somebody wanted to go to your website or contact you, would you ship to their, wherever their location is, or do you have somebody that point, just, yeah, I can point them into the uh, direction of the right, um, uh, vendor. Distributor. So oh, vendor. We, we don't sell directly, um, okay. um, uh, maybe in the future and have some opportunities there, just the way that we're legally set up. Um, but there are, um, retail shops here in New York that do ship throughout the country. Um, and, so if anybody wants to email me directly, even at Corey at methodspirits.com um, or go through our website, all of the different email addresses, like I said, we're a small crew. So they all point back to me. Um, uh, or, can... or Barley's answering the email. That's uh, that's yeah. the way it's going to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, you talked about the driver vermouth. Yeah. That's getting released. I can't, you know, find a way. I want to find a way to try that and, uh, you know, introduce that to the experience of vermouth. Yeah. It doesn't sound like you're a, a gentleman that was, would be settled on just vermouth. So I'm curious, while you're really developing this line, it says method spirits. Yeah. Vermouth is one of those things. Are there other ideas that you're playing with in your mind or are, are in the R&D program right now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's, uh, I've always loved um, the bitter profile. Um, so making um, uh, bitters, uh, potable bitters, um, things that like Amaro's, um, but for the American palate um, and the kind of through the American drinking tradition and expanding that category, I think is something that's really exciting. Um, and then there's some distilled uh, spirits projects that I think uh, could be exciting as well. Um, Maybe not something um, hyper traditional as far as I don't think um, the world needs another gin, um, at least not one that I've come up with and think that's interesting enough to, to add to the. Um, come on, Corey, the, the world needs another pumpkin beer. Let's go <laughs> right, get that together. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that I think that the the spirits category um, and expanding on on uh, things that are friendly for bartenders to use is really what our focus is. Um, things that can, um, be used to develop great cocktails, um, and to further that culture is really where our focus is. As a bartender, I'm curious, talk about, or introduce us to a cocktail that you think, whether it's classic or not, or modern post-prohibition, however you want to go, but a cocktail that doesn't get its due or is that uh, sleeper cocktail? Um, I would, so this might disappoint a little. Um, I think that there's, I think that chasing kind of through the, um, the Rolodex of cocktails, um, has been done. Um, so like there are definitely classics like the Bucheray and stuff like that, that I like going to good cocktail bars and ordering. Um, but, and, and that could fit in that profile, but I really think that it's more about ingredients and then seeing how simple, um, structures work together. So I really love what's happening with kind of martinis now, um, and kind of 50 fifties and 
a lot of what I drink right now is, is finding a really great spirit that I like and marrying it with either vermouth or somebody else's, um, uh, aperitif or something like that. And really seeing how the ingredients themselves can be celebrated. Um, so whether that's vermouth and soda or just a 50, 50 of whiskey and, um, an aperitif or something of that nature, um, I think that's something that home bartenders should be more confident in doing, um, taking two things that they love, two things that they think might go together and enjoying them in simple, just ratios, um, on their own from there, those are building blocks that you can make all kinds of cocktails out of. Um, but I think just if people were more confident to just drink things in simple combinations that, that makes for great drinks at home. I'm appreciative as a home cocktail maker. I wouldn't even say a home bartender, but a home cocktail maker throughout the pandemic, we've seen more of that come together. And for us, for Dawn and I, I mean, we, we, you know, we have these spirits and then we see, all right, what can we do to make a cocktail? But then you start to go to recipes and you get these ingredients that might be one and done, you know, that I'll get this one, let's say it's an Amaro or it's a, you know, tincture or it's a, you know, a bitter. And then, what am I supposed to do with it after that? So right. I appreciate the fact that you say, keep it simple. Cause that's what, when you talk about a kitchen program and a culinary background, those are some of the best dishes. Those are some yeah. of the best food you'll eat that have maybe two, three, four ingredients and, and, and don't need to have such, you know, a, a variety of things that you'll just never put together again. Yeah. I think, um, I remember, uh, my friend Souther was talking to somebody and I overheard them ask, um, if Amaro was just something that was supposed to be used in cocktails. And he said, none of these Italians made these and said, well, I can't wait for the Americans to figure out how to use these in cocktails. Um, they're all to be enjoyed on their own. Um, and that's something that I think if people should definitely, there's simple applications of pretty much everything. Um, for anything bittersweet, you can add soda to it. Um, vermouth and soda or an Amaro and soda, um, or even just a simple highball of whiskey and soda is delicious because you get to explore and see how this single, um, um, passion project slaved over, um, recipe, um, can be experienced in different ways. Um, so, learning that and learning and kind of having the permission structure. Cause I think you're right. Um, bartenders oftentimes try to make things um, seem incredibly precious and inaccessible. Um, they say, Hey, look at this 15 step cocktail. This is how you make it. So if you want to make a drink, you have to bring out everything in order to accomplish anything that's even remotely respectable um, rather than saying, just take it and enjoy it on its own, learn it, learn the individual ingredients, and then you can learn, um, what might go well with it. It's like, like you said, simple, um, culinary projects are like taking a, a vegetable and simply roasting it, um, or doing some other process to it so that you understand it kind of clean and on its own. This bottle that's in front of me, the bottle that you've created, you and your team also has a component you give back and talk a little bit about how you give back with this bottle. Um, yeah. So when we, our Kickstarter um, was supported mostly by hospitality people um, and our, our bar and some friends. Um, and right when we were getting through the Kickstarter was when COVID hit. Um, and that um, was kind of difficult for us because a lot of our friends who were supporting us and our goals, we watched them start to lose their jobs and lose um, their ability to make money and, and watched our culture just get decimated. Um, and so from the onset for our first two batches of the sweet vermouth, we gave a portion of our um, uh, proceeds to the Restaurant Workers Community Foundation um, and their specifically to their COVID relief. Um, we wouldn't be here without the community of bartenders and servers and everything that surround us. So we wanted to give back um, to the community um, in some fashion that, that could support them. And we, as a small, small brand, knew that that wasn't something that we could really take under our ourselves. Um, so coupling with people who were doing it well and doing it right um, was a nice thing that we could do on our on start. 
It's awesome. I mean, it really talks about the character of you and the creativity and what you're setting out to put together. This isn't a, all right, we'll come up with some vermouth and we'll come up with some things that we can help bartenders. You really see this as a long-term sustainable project, you know, a legacy, a brand for the future. And I'm excited. I can't wait. I'm, I'm so grateful for your time tonight. I'm glad we had a chance to meet at Bar Convent. What was the experience like? I'm curious at Bar Convent and, yeah. you know, some of the, how'd that go for you as far as the feedback and, and what you yeah. Um, It was a bit overwhelming. Um, I had uh, participated in Bar Convent previously as a bartender um, and going to the event to see new brands and then to be one of those new brands was interesting. And um, so we were in the Emerging Brands Pavilion, which literally meant we had the smallest booth um, in the event. Um, but uh, it was a great opportunity to connect with people and um, to see some people that I hadn't seen in a long time, just kind of see the community come back together for a big event like that. Um, and the event itself was was on a grander scale than it had been previously. Um, the new venue was fantastic. Um, but the... Um, getting more international input was, was fun. Um, having Italians walk over, um, and see an American making Italian style sweet vermouth, um, and hearing their comments and then having them bring their friends back to the booth. And then for a second and a third time and, and see them whispering and, and coming over and that's awesome that we were doing really well. And, and that kind of stuff that was, um, that really was validating. Um, and, and yeah, so that reception was, was great. That's awesome. Corey, thank you so much for your time tonight. I know you got a, a lot of things to, to get done, but uh, thanks for uh, spending time with us on the podcast, introducing Method Spirits and your sweet vermouth and soon to be your dry vermouth to uh, our listening audience. And hopefully, you know, it'll be on everybody's bar, everybody's uh, home bar, everybody's professional bar really soon. So you got a lot of work to do, my friend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cheers. I really appreciate the Cheers. opportunity. Thank you so much for being a friend of Fermented Adventure. We cannot wait if it has to wait that long to see you at Bar Convent 2023. But uh, hopefully uh, we'll keep in touch and uh, hear all the great things that are going on with you guys. Excellent. Thanks again. Thanks, Corey. Cheers. Cheers.